Welcome to the Ramp Church Podcast. We are so honoured that you've joined us today and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website ramp.church forward slash mcr or find us on social media. Now let's head straight into this week's message. If you've got your Bible, you can grab it and turn with me. We're going to two key passages tonight, and I'll introduce our theme in just a moment. But the two passages we're going to is first, we're going to start in Acts chapter 2, and then from there, we're going to work our way backwards to the book of Judges and look at a passage there out of Judges 6 and 7. So Acts chapter 2, and then we'll go back to the book of Judges and consider some verses out of Judges 6 and 7. What I want to do tonight is build upon the message that Pastor Stacy released last week right here at Ramp Church on Oxford Road. And if you weren't here, that's okay. I'll give a brief recap and then introduce tonight's theme. What she talked about were the marks of revival. You know, revival is a word that we use quite a bit here at Ramp Church. It's something we pray for. We were singing about that idea earlier as we were singing, God, we need a fresh outpouring. And last week, Pastor Stacy talked about the marks of revival, and I won't go through all of them, but as she was talking about it, my heart was so stirred to begin to give ourselves a reference point for revival, definition to what we're longing for. Last week in our Sunday morning service, Pastor Joe talked about getting specific in your prayer request, not just asking God generally for things, but getting specific. So last week, one of the things she talked about was that in revival, there is the preaching of the word with conviction. Another mark is that out of the preaching of the word, there's the kind of conviction that brings repentance. Out of that, there is salvation. And she went on and on talking about the manifestation of revival in our midst. What I want to do tonight is talk on this theme, the sound of revival. The sound of revival. And in many ways, yes, we're talking about bringing definition to our prayers, but we're also getting swept up into the current of what God is doing globally right now. We've already referenced it a couple of times, but right now in the United States on college campuses, there's a move of God breaking out as people are lingering in the presence of God in the atmosphere of worship and prayer, confessing their sins and seeing salvation. And so I want to talk about revival tonight in order to honor what God's doing in this hour and also Give, like I said a moment ago, a reference point for what we are contending for. So I want to talk about the sound of revival. Now let me give this disclaimer up front. What I'm teaching on tonight, I'm only partially aware of. All right, I'm not teaching from a place of totality in terms of understanding or awareness or even totality of experience. I'm talking from a place of partiality of just knowing a part of what I'm talking about. However, I think the part is worth considering. Furthermore, what I'm talking about comes from not just my own experience, but the witness of other people who I'm, who I'm in relationship with who have been in legitimate moves of God. Also, I'm teaching from the witness of Scripture. So I'm not, again, teaching from a place of like, I'm like the revival know-it-all guy because what I've seen is barely, barely, barely a touch 
in terms of what God wants to do in our generation. But I'm coming from the witness of other people. I'm coming from the witness of Scripture and just a tiny bit of my own experience. So here's the starting point. We'll jump into Acts chapter 2 and then look on down uh, into Judges chapter 6 and 7. If someone doesn't mind turning the uh, heat tube just a little bit different direction, that would be amazing. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Josh. It was like blowing on me, and uh, I get sweaty when I preach anyway, but that was going to make it like exceptionally um, uh, interesting tonight. So here's the starting point. Revival has a sound. Revival has a sound. It's a sound that is a spirit sound, and it transcends even the musicality of what's going on in the room. There is a sound to revival that releases something in the spirit realm that pierces the hearts of men and it brings them to a place of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Revival has a sound. Now again, I'm not saying that from a place of totality of experience, but the witness of other people. So I've um, sat down with several uh, older men of God who have been in legitimate moves of God. So one time I sat down with an author named Robert E. Coleman. He works with the Billy Graham Association and he wrote a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. Well, this move of God that's happening right now at Asbury in Kentucky, it's a Methodist college, it has happened before. It's happened in the 1950s. It also happened in the 1970s. And this old gentleman that I talked to named Robert E. Coleman, he was there in the 50s when, as a student experiencing a move of God And he was there again in the 70s as a professor experiencing a move of God again at Asbury. And now it's breaking out once more. And and he, as he was describing revival, he was talking about there being a certain kind of sound in the atmosphere. A, A sound of hunger, a sound of longing, a sound of God. That again, that's bigger than an instrument or a voice. There's just something about... A sound, I've sat down with another older gentleman, a minister from Buffalo, New York. His name is Bishop Tommy Reed. And in the 1970s, his church saw a significant move of God where it went from being a couple of member church to almost a thousand member church really in a matter of a few days as all these people started getting saved. And as they were in the middle of that move of God, he would look at people on his ministry team and he would say, it sounds like revival in here. It sounds like revival. Why? Because revival has a sound to it. Again, bigger than the musicality of the moment, bigger than a vocal quality, there is something about when God moves that releases something. So let's read from Acts chapter 2. Talk about the sound of revival. We're going to consider Judges 6 and 7 to keep talking about the sound of revival. And then I want to talk about six qualities to the sound of revival. Six qualities to the sound of revival. So let's look at Acts chapter 2. It says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound. Say sound. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. Why did the multitude come together? Because a sound from heaven was released. When the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, looking at one another and saying, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Now let's go all the way to verse 41 in Acts chapter two, because I wanna show you the result of the sound of revival. Verse 41, and those who gladly received his word, so the sound breaks out, Peter stands up and begins to preach. And then it says, those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. When the sound of revival is released, the fruit of the harvest is accelerated. When the sound of, the, of revival is released, the fruit of the harvest is accelerated. Because the sound of revival is about two things. It's about what God does in the church in terms of renewal, and it's about what God does through the church in the harvest in terms of salvation. The sound of revival brings renewal to the church and salvation to the world. It's something God does in us that is otherworldly and supernatural. And it's something God does through us that is so significant it begins to change the landscape of the world. It begins to change the landscape of what's going on. Here in Acts chapter 2, a sound came from heaven. That sound first filled the church who was in prayer. Then that sound came through the church into the world and a harvest is brought in. The sound of revival will always impact two realms, the church and the world. The church and the world, the praying church and the harvest that God wants to bring in. What's interesting about this sound of revival, and if you've ever been in a moment of, of the presence of God, the glory of God, you know what I'm talking about. The sound of revival in Acts chapter two was both foreign and familiar at the same time. There was something foreign enough about it that it piqued the curiosity of the multitude and they all gathered together. But there was something so familiar about it that they heard the gospel in their own language in which they were born. And when you are in a place of the glory of God where he is manifesting in a tangible way, there's something about it that is both familiar and foreign at the same time. You're able to recognize I'm in an atmosphere that is not of this world, but something about this atmosphere is calling to me in a, such a deep way that I feel at home. It's so strange to both feel in a different world and at home all at the same time. But that's what they experienced in Acts chapter two. A sound came and the sound was foreign enough to pique their curiosity, but familiar enough to bring them home to the heart of God. That's what we were praying for. When we are praying, uh, we need a fresh outpouring. What are we praying? We need a sound from heaven in this city that is foreign enough that it takes people off guard, but familiar enough that people are called home to the heart of God. The sound of revival renews the church and it saves the world. It operates in two realms. Now with that in mind, let's go to Judges chapter six. 
Why are we going to the book of Judges? We're going to read bits and pieces of the story of Gideon because the story of Gideon is about a sound that saves the harvest. The story of Gideon is, about, is a story about a sound that saves the harvest. Now we know by the end of the story, a little spoiler alert, what happens is God uses Gideon and his army to release a sound. They blow trumpets. And when they release a sound, it defeats their enemy. But what I want to point out is the area of warfare that Gideon faced. Let's go to Judges chapter 6, verse number 3. Gideon, God raises him up as a judge within Israel. We'll read bits of that in just a moment. They're facing an enemy called the Midianites. Now, what is the strategy of the Midianites? Acts, uh, I'm sorry, Judges chapter 6, verse number 3. So it was whenever Israel had sown, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. So their enemy, the Midianites, they came after they had sown. What happened? Let's go down to verse number six. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Israel in Judges chapter 6, they are specifically facing warfare in the area of their harvest. They are impoverished as a nation, not because they're not sowing. They are sowing, but they're not reaping what they sow because of the level of warfare they're facing. And I want to suggest that's exactly where we are as the church. It's not that we're not sowing. It's that there's a spiritual dynamic of warfare that is keeping us from seeing harvest in the areas where we're sowing. Can I tell you something? And this sometimes will come as a surprise to people. But the gospel separated from the sound of revival does not bear the maximum, maximum fruit it's called to bear. The gospel is meant to exist within the sound of revival. It was the sound of revival released in Acts 2 that then created an atmosphere shift where, Paul, where Peter could preach the gospel, and when he preached the gospel in the atmosphere of revival, 3,000 people got saved. We need the partnership of the sound of revival with the preaching of the gospel in order to see the harvest brought in. Souls get saved. People get saved and give their lives to Jesus. So it's not that Israel was not sowing. They were sowing, but they weren't reaping because there had not been the appropriate level of spiritual warfare regarding the area of the harvest. So they're sowing, but they're not seeing much fruit. But by the end of the story, God releases a sound that causes victory in the area of the harvest. All right? So what were the qualities that caused this sound to be released? Because when you get to Judges chapter 6, the condition of Israel is not very good. I skipped the part in you know, verse chapter one, where it says why they were facing this warfare. The reason they were facing this warfare is because they had turned to idols. And in that condition, they were not seeing the level of harvest that they were meant to see. All right? So, I, you know, they're not in a very good place. So when God first speaks to Gideon, 
to raise him up as a judge. It's not simply, hey, Gideon, go get a trumpet and let's create a sound. He takes them through a process in order to give his sound the right kind of quality it needs to defeat his enemy. Because it's not the, it's not the level of our volume that causes atmospheres to shift. It is the quality of the sound that we release that causes atmospheres to shift. The sound of revival is not the sound of a certain level of volume. The sound of revival is something about the quality of spirit and the manner of heart in which we release what God has said. All right? So God takes them through a process and he refines their sound so that when it is released, harvest is immediately brought in. And we see by the end of the story that their enemy is having dreams of big loaves of barley crushing their tents. Why? Because when the harvest comes in, it crushes the plans of the enemy. God's answer, listen to this, God's answer to the plans of the enemy is the harvest. I I agree we need reformation in our societies. I agree God wants to use government leaders and politicians. I agree there needs to be systematic change in terms of injustices. But I also stand with this reality that God's answer to the strongholds of the enemy, his first and foremost answer is salvation. It is the harvest that when God changes the hearts of men, society itself begins to change. So the answer to their enemy was the harvest. And the way in which they saw the harvest is God releases through them the sound of revival. Six qualities of the sound of revival. The first one is, what is the first one? Let's go over here and read. (laughs) And maybe I'll remember it. So let's go to Judges chapter 6, verse number 11. All right, let's see. Now the angel of the Lord, which came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, said while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Thank you, Lord, I just remembered it. Number one. What is the first quality of the sound of revival? Number one, honesty. Honesty. And I'll read it. I just read the beginning of that, but I'll I'll read this next verse in just a moment. The way in which we get revival is by starting with the reality of our condition. We do not get revival by covering up our condition with Christianese or Christian cliches. We step into revival by being honest about where we are in God, about where we are as a nation, where we are as a city. Without honesty, we don't step into the sound of revival. How do we know that honesty is the first quality God's looking for? Because look, in verse 12, the angel of the Lord... Now, it says the angel, not an angel. Did you know the Lord has his own angel? It's a lot to process, a lot to think about. And the angel of the Lord is distinguished from other angels of the Lord. So this is the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon, and he gives him this encouraging word. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, watch this, O my Lord, 
If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles which your fathers, which our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. At this point, I'm thinking the angel of the Lord is about to slap Gideon. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And Gideon basically says, no, he's not. Because if he was here, we would have miracles. If he was here, we wouldn't be facing this kind of warfare. If he was here, we would be bringing in the harvest. And at this point, I'm feeling uncomfortable on Gideon's behalf and saying, Gideon, you're about to be smote, smited. You're about to be injured by the angel of the Lord. But look at how the angel responds in verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him. Now, this is interesting because it starts off by saying the angel of the Lord. And when Gideon gets smart with the angel of the Lord, it doesn't say the angel responded. It says there was something about Gideon's response that caused the Lord to turn to him. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. What? God liked the fact that Gideon was honest about where they were. God liked the fact that Gideon wasn't going to cover up their condition with a bunch of cliches. And when God heard Gideon be honest about their condition, he turned himself and engaged and said, Gideon, it to others, it may look like that you're responding from a place of unbelief. But in reality, your honesty is the gateway to greater faith. The way in which we begin to carry the sound of revival is first and foremost, we got to get honest about where we are. We got to get honest about our need for God. We got to get honest about our own compromise. We got to get honest about our own envy. We got to be honest about all this stuff. So Gideon responds to the angel with honesty and God affirms him rather than rebukes him. So that's the first quality to the sound of revival, honesty. The second quality to the sound of revival is purity. Purity. So God shows up to Gideon and I'm not gonna read the entirety of chapter six and seven. You know, you can do that if you're looking for homework. There's a lot there. So I'm just gonna highlight different verses. But God commissions Gideon to be a deliverer for the children of Israel, to uh, lead this charge against the Midianites. But before God releases him to raise up an army, look at the next thing God does. We're going to go to Judges chapter 6, now verse 25. Now it came to pass the same night, say the same night, the same night he's commissioned by God to deliver the nation, what else does God do? Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took 10 men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. I like Gideon. He's just so honest. He's like, God, I'm going to obey you, but not during the day. Because they're going to come after me. So I'm going to wait till nightfall to do it. I like it. He's just so honest. So here's the second thing the Lord does. God affirms Gideon's honesty 
but doesn't allow him to function as a deliverer as long as there are still idols in his house. So he says, Gideon, I want to use you to deal with the enemy of the nation, the enemies of the nation. However, first, this war is going to start at your own house. There's an idol in your father's house, and you got to go take care of it. I know it may be uncomfortable to confront some things that you have grown comfortable with, but if, you, if I'm going to use you on, a scale, on the scale I want to use you, you got to deal with some personal idols. In order for us to carry the sound of revival, it's not about learning the revival songs. It's about a personal purity and repentance about the idolatry in our own hearts. To say, God, there are areas where we have grown comfortable and we need those challenged. So in our honesty, though God affirms our honesty, he doesn't excuse, listen to this, while God affirms our honesty, he does not also excuse our negligence in areas of compromise. And sometimes we think it's enough to be honest about where we are, but not repent for where we are. You need to be honest about where you are and allow the honesty to lead you to repentance about where you are so you can deal with the things that are holding you back from being activated in the call of God for your life, all right? So number one is honesty. Number two is purity, a personal desire to deal with the idols in your life so that way you're, you're fully given over to the things of God. Number three is unity. Unity. Now when I say unity, we all have like sort of a kumbaya, nice, let's get together, yeah, 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 idea in our minds. But when I say unity, and I say that in reference to Gideon's story, there is an intense process of testing God takes them through in order to unify them. It is a refined unity. It is a unity that is a result of being tested by God and God forging them together as one man. And again, Judges 6 and 7, you can read what that testing process was like. But what I want to say is that God is looking for communities who can release the sound of revival together. However, for them to release the sound of revival together, they have to go through tests together. Did you know that God will not only test you individually, God will test you in the context of community? Actually, some of your greatest tests will be in the context of community. When you got to deal with your envy, you got to deal with your pride, you got to deal with your insecurities, you got to deal with your being overlooked, you got to deal with all that stuff. You've got to know that God is trying to form in you a pure sound that will only come when you're willing to stay together in the middle of tests. All right, so God takes them through that. Now, how do I know that unity is a key feature? in the sound that Gideon releases. Because when you go back to verse number 16, God says something very interesting to Gideon. Judges 6, 16. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites, watch this, as one man. You will defeat them as one man. What does he mean when he says uh, you will defeat them as one man? Because we know that Gideon does not function as one man when God uses him to overthrow or defeat the Midianites. There are 300 men. But what God is saying to Gideon, I believe, is this. The, the, the company I give you, Gideon, you will be so unified, it will be as though you are one man. God's looking for not just individuals. He's looking for communities that operate as one. 
And when we go through testing to allow God to deal with us in all kinds of ways that we need to be dealt with, it forges us into a corporate man who can release something from another world. Now, how do we know that level of unity was achieved? I'm going to kind of cheat and look forward at Judges chapter 7. And I'm going to look at verse number 18. Nope, not 18. Verse 17. Judges chapter 7, verse 17. And Gideon said to them, said to his 300, Look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. Look at me and do likewise, and whatever I do, just do that. He didn't even give them the full instructions of what they were going to do. And they follow him into a battle where they are drastically outnumbered. They are 300. The Bible said, says over and over again that the camp of the Midianites were innumerable. You couldn't number them. That's how many were there. And God had so forged them into a community of unity and trust that Gideon didn't have to go over every single detail of what they were going to do. Can I just say something on behalf of the uh, Jones Stacey leaders of Ramp Church? If you always have to have all the details spelled out before you sign up or jump on with the plan, then you've got to, you, you, there's a deeper work God needs to do in your heart. Because when you're really unified with leaders of a community, you're like, listen, you don't have to tell me everything. Just point me in the right direction and we're going. Let's do it. And that's what happens here. Gideon says, hey, guys, when we get there, just whatever I do, you guys do. They didn't even need the full plan. They said, okay, we'll do it. They get there, and it's not like Gideon pulls out this ultra-relevant military strategy. He's got a pot, he's got a trumpet, and he's got a torch. As far as we know, he's not even carrying a sword. And he's like, all right, guys, do what I do. Breaks his pot, lifts his torch, and blows a trumpet. And you know what happens? The 300 men, they just do what Gideon does. They don't stop and ask a bunch of questions. They don't have a bunch of conversations and go, guys, we're about to die. I have no idea what he's doing. Why? Because they had been through a process of testing where they were unified and the infrastructure of trust had been built so that Gideon could simply do what God called him to do and his men were like, Gideon, bro, you are crazy, but we are right here with you. God wants to find that kind of community where people look at each other and say, you are nuts, but if you're going after it, I'm going after it. Right now, Pastor Joe Reeser is in the United States, in Kentucky, at Asbury. Everybody's got all kinds of weird opinions about what's going on. But at the end of the day, I'm like, brother, if you are there, we are with you. We are praying. Let revival burn and bring it back when you come back and let it be released right here in Manchester. All right? So God unifies. And that's the third quality of the sound of revival. Number one is honesty. <clears throat> Number two is purity. Number three is unity. Number four is fearlessness. The sound of revival has a fearlessness to it. Now, let's read this verse in Judges chapter 7, verse number 3. This is part of the process God uses to unify his men. Judges chapter 7, verse number 3. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful... And afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. I love this next part. And 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. Like, I, 
Again, honesty is a reoccurring theme. Gideon just goes, whoever's scared, go home. And 22,000 unashamedly said, yeah, I'm scared. I'm going home. Gideon, I'm sure, standing there like, I did not see that coming. Like, everybody just left. Now, what I'm amazed by, though, is God was dealing with the fear within the camp, but I'm surprised Gideon didn't leave, too. Because when you read the text, Gideon's more scared than anybody. When God shows up, he's like, hey, Gideon, I've called you. Then he gets a little smart, and he's like, no, like, you're not even with us. And then he begins to speak to him, and then Gideon starts giving all of his reasons why he can't be used. He's like, no, I'm like in this tribe, and my family's the least, and I'm least in my family. And then later, he does that whole like, you ever heard that phrase, put out a fleece before the Lord? That comes from Gideon. And like, I get it, like, you know, get confirmation before you do something crazy. But the whole reason Gideon did all that stuff is because he was scared. God says, go face the Midianites. He's like, all right, Lord, I'm going to do, all right, here's what we're going to do, Lord. If this is really you, I know the, like the angel of the Lord showed up, and you showed up, and I put a sacrifice on the rock, and it was consumed in a flame. I get all of that, and I know that you've already called me to, to destroy the bale of my house, but at the end of the day, Lord, I'm still not sure that you're with me. So what I'm going to do is I've got this fleece, and I'm going to go put it outside, and in the morning, I want the fleece to be wet with dew, but all the ground dry. And so he does this, he wakes up the next morning, and exactly what he asks. And Gideon is like, okay, Lord, that was really good, but I'm still not quite sure this is you. So now I'm going to ask for the opposite. Let the fleece be dry and all the ground be wet with dew. Then I'll know it's you. And that happens, and Gideon's like, man. Okay, so Gideon goes this whole thing. He sees all these people. I'm sure he's encouraged that so many people showed up. God said it's too many. We'll talk about that in just a minute. So he says, if you're scared, go home. Almost everybody goes home. God keeps testing them. Then they're about to attack the Midianites, and there's 300. So watch what God says in Judges chapter 7. Oh, I love this part. Judges chapter 7, verse number 9. This is the eve of the battle. All right, this is the eve of the battle. Judges chapter 7, verse number 9. It happened on the same night that the Lord said to Gideon, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, no say, if you are afraid to go down, then go down with your servant, and you shall hear what they say. He goes, and you know what he does? He goes down to the camp with his servant, which means Gideon was still terrified. So when I say the sound of revival is a fearless sound, I don't mean a natural, soulish fearlessness that is rooted in our own strength. I'm talking about this fear of the Lord that basically your confidence just comes from what God said. And your fearlessness is a very broken, imperfect fearlessness that knows you're crazy, but you're too scared to not do what God told you to do than to disobey. So your fearlessness is just like this. I, guys, if I could do anything else with my life, I would. But God made it so clear what I'm supposed to be doing that I've got to do this. And that's what I mean by fearlessness. I'm talking about this thing that is so rooted in the fear of the Lord that you just got to go after what God said. It's not an arrogant confidence in the ability of the church to pull in the harvest. It is a very broken, humble, imperfect 
prayer, posture of prayer that says, God, if you don't show up, it's just not going to happen. But when you do show up, I'm confident that what you said will happen. That kind of fearlessness, all right? It's the quality of the sound of revival. So it's an honest sound. It's a pure sound. It's a unified sound. It's a fearless sound. What's the next quality of revival? Number five, the next quality of revival is that it is, uh, the, the next quality of revival is humility. It is a humble sound. It is a humble sound. Humility is number five. Let's go to Judges chapter seven. You're already there. Now we're going to look at verse number two. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into, your, into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying my own hand has saved me. The Lord looks at Gideon and says, you're outnumbered, but your army is still too big. In other words, Gideon, you're still a little too good at what you do. So I'm going to take you through a process where you become utterly unsure of yourself. Because in that humility, I'm able to use you in a way that only I will get glory. In order for us to be used in a way that releases the sound of revival, there has to be this brokenness that understands we are nothing more than earthen vessels carrying the power of a living God. Actually, this humility is spoken about in Judges chapter 7, but it shows up later in the strategy that Gideon uses. Now, the strategy of Gideon with his pot, his torch, and his trumpet, I'm not sure where that strategy came from. Maybe the Lord said it. I don't know if he did. I'd have to go back and reread. I'm actually not sure where it came from. But when Gideon does what he does with the, vert, with the vessel, with the pot, it's almost like a sign of what God had already done in him. Because Gideon understood, I've got a torch that's surrounded by a vessel. And the only way to get what's in it out of it is to break what's around it. So Gideon breaks his vessel so the fire the vessel's containing is released and it can shine during the night into the eyes of the enemy. The only way to get out of us what's in us is for the outside of us to be broken. Our own human arrogance, our own self-sufficiency, our own dependence, our own, our own uh, thinking that says we deserve to release the sound of revival. As long as we think we deserve to release the sound of, the re of revival, we can't release the sound of revival. God is looking for broken vessels that will release his fire and his glory and his sound. So that's the next quality of the sound of revival is that it has humility. It is humble. As long as we think we can take credit for what God does, then we're not positioned to be a part of what God does. And that's what God says to Gideon. He says, Gideon, you've got too many people. If I give you victory in this condition, you'll think you were the one that did it. So I'm gonna take you through a process of decrease and decrease and decrease until you know it's utterly impossible separated from me. And that's what he does. And I think the crowning symbol of that is that Gideon takes his pot and breaks it 
And guess what? Oh, I love this. When God can find a broken leader, through them he's able to lead other people in brokenness as well. Because Gideon breaks his pot, all of his men break their pots too. I'm not talking about brokenness in terms of toleration of sin. I'm talking about an utter humility in the hand of God. That says, is God, God, this has to be you. Or it's just not going to bear fruit that is unto eternal life. A brokenness in the hand of God. This is another kind of footnote, but if you're more interested in that theme, I encourage you to get a book by Watchman Nee called The Release of the Spirit. And in that book, he describes this reality. He said there's only one condition that can prepare man to be used by God, and it is the condition of brokenness. As long as we remain unbroken, then we are not fit to be used in God's hand. But the moment God is able to break us, that's the moment we're able to release the Spirit of God that is dwelling inside of us. All right, what is the last quality of the sound of revival? We have honesty. We have humility, we have unity, we have purity, we have fearlessness that comes out of the word of the Lord. Last quality I wanna mention is fervency. The sound of revival has a fervency to it. Where do I get that from the story of Gideon? Because their pots that were broken were not empty. There was a fire on the inside. When they were broken, it is the fire that came forth. And because they were carrying not empty vessels, but fiery vessels, God was able to release something through them that saved the harvest, that rescued the harvest. If we're going to release the sound of revival, we need to have a fervency, not an arrogant fervency that is trusting in ourselves, but a very humble fervency that says, God, you're all I want. God, you're all I need. God, I'm hungry for you. I want you. And from that place of fire, God can release something that changes the world. See, once they'd gone through that process and those six qualities were established, what did they do? They broke their pots, they raised their torches, and they sounded their trumpets. And once they released their sound, with those six qualities, remember, with those, once they released their sound, it defeated their enemy and it saved the harvest. If you want to take all six of these qualities and you were to summarize it into one word, I would simply call it the word surrender. Because the idea of surrender embodies all of those. When we are in a place of surrender, guess what? We're honest before the Lord. <laughs> we're not trying to hide anymore. We're not trying to like, you know, maneuver. You know, when we're in a place of surrender, we become very keen on repentance. To say, God, anything in us that is standing in the way, we wanna lay it down at your feet. When we are in a place of surrender, it unifies our heart with each other because all of, a, all of a sudden we become soft toward one another. When you are in a place of surrender, ironically, it leads to a fearlessness because you are abandoned to the will of God regardless of personal cost to yourself. When you're in a place of surrender, guess what? There is a humility that says, God, you know best beyond me. And when you're in a place of surrender, there's a desire and a fervency that drives you. This sound is what defeated the enemy. There is a sound that defeats the enemy, and it's not the sound of human strength. It is the sound of human surrender. The sound that scares the enemy is the sound of surrender before God. When they said yes to a process of surrender, God releases through them the sound of revival, and the sound of the revival 
comes not to make them famous for having the latest, greatest sound. The sound of revival comes to bring in the harvest. Again, go back to Acts chapter 2. The purpose behind the sound was renewal in the church and salvation in the world. That is what we're longing for. Not to be the latest, greatest thing well known for the songs we write and the things that we do. No, our hunger for the sound of revival is because we are desperate for God to renew our hearts and then through us see the world changed through salvation as we release the gospel. I want to ask the musicians to join me here on the platform. We're going to just take a few more moments tonight in the place of prayer, saying, God, we say yes to surrender. God, we say yes to whatever process you need to take us through. Lord, to unify us with your heart so that in us and through us, you can release the sound of revival. So all across this room, if you would stand on your feet tonight. Thank you, Lord. And even before the music, I want to invite you to begin to pray right where you are. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Wow, come on, right where you are. I feel like the Lord tonight is looking for people who are willing to be a part of Gideon's army. What does it mean to be a part of Gideon's army? It means you say yes to testing. You say yes to decrease. You say yes to confrontational moments in the presence of God where he deals with idols in your own soul, idols in your own house. You say yes to the difficult process of unity. You say yes to humility. You say yes to God dealing with fear in your heart. You say yes to all of these areas that call us to greater and greater surrender. You know, I've, I've not been walking with the Lord like just decades and decades and decades, but enough to know that if you're going to continue down the road of discipleship, you never graduate from the process of surrender. You never graduate from the process of God doing deep things in you to prepare you to release the next thing He wants you to release. It's, it's just a process that never stops. And so if we are going to be in rhythm with God, we've got to say yes to being a part of Gideon's army, to be in those that go through wave after wave after wave of testing so that God can use us for the harvest. So if that's you tonight, you're just hungry to be a part of that company that releases sound of revival and you're willing to say yes to whatever that cost is, I want to ask you to respond in some way. This altar is open. You can kneel at your seat. You can get into the aisle. But Lord, here we are tonight. Lord, as we sang earlier, we recognize that we need a fresh outpouring. We recognize that in order to release the sound of revival, you have to find a trustworthy community, a people who have gone through the process of testing, a people who have gone through the process, Lord, that is uncomfortable, that is, that is not always pleasant. It's not always, Lord, intuitive that, that, that it's something that we would desire. So, Lord, we say yes to trusting you. We say yes to surrender. We say yes to walking with you in uncomfortable ways so you can do through us what you want to do through us. Wow, thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we ask that 
you would give us, Lord, that, that honesty that Gideon had, that wouldn't hide or cover up the, the need in his life by simply uh, pushing out or forcing out a pseudo-faith. But Lord, we want an honesty to recognize where we are. For many of you, you may be asking yourself, where do I begin? You begin with honesty. Recognize where you are in God. Recognize your lack of interest, your lack of desire, or your comfortability with sin. Just recognize where you are with God. And I believe in that place of honesty, it will cause the Lord to turn toward you in a way that he turned toward Gideon. He began by sending Gideon his angel. Then when Gideon was honest, God got personally involved. When you are honest with him, he gets personally involved in in the details of your life. So Father, tonight, We lay our hearts on the altar and we say yes to you. We recognize our need. We recognize our need. We recognize where we are and we say, God, do a deep work in us that only you can do so that through us you can do something that changes the world. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.